Upon the current issues and the Constitution show, Professor Wilson will encourage you to stay informed and read the U.S. Constitution. The show is intended to shine a light on current issues that impact your daily life. Professor Wilson has twice received the American History Teacher of the Year Award in the state of West Virginia and is the recipient of many honors. He served in the armed forces and is currently a college professor. He is a true patriot who believes the understanding of the Constitution is key to our future and our future freedoms rest with informed youth. Please join us live where you can ask questions or listen on your time. Just follow the show feed to receive the latest shows delivered right to you. Don't miss any of these informative episodes. Are you ready? Take out a copy of the U.S. Constitution, a notepad, and let's get ready to learn. Hey, welcome to all of you who are joining us today. I am the moderator of the Current Issues and the Constitution show, and with me today is our featured speaker, Professor Wilson, who is always delighted to be here and impart his uh, wisdom on all of us. Thanks for joining us, Woody. Thank you, Felice, and hello, everyone. Let's get started today with a look at a uh, a current event uh, from the great state of New York. Now, keep in mind that New York is one of the largest states in the United States, uh, second, I believe, behind California, and um, one of the original 13 colonies, great state with a great history. Uh, but things have changed up there. Um, keep in mind that there are basic fundamental ideological differences between conservatives and liberals. And that's okay. It's always been that way. It was that way in the first presidential administration in history, that of George Washington. And the antagonists there were basically Alexander Hamilton and Thomas Jefferson. And they disagreed frequently on many of the issues as Washington presides over the establishment of this new government created by the Constitution, which was a pretty difficult thing in and of itself. Uh, a lot of people didn't think that, 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 that this new democracy was going to work. They thought it would fade away, that it would crumble. Washington held it together, and he held Hamilton and Jefferson together too, but they were opposed on the issues from the very beginning. Now, in a democratic society, that's perfectly okay. Ideological differences on every issue, philosophical differences on on any policy that or piece of legislation is passed, that is perfectly okay. But it's basically today it's not okay with liberals. And I have become convinced over the last two or three weeks, and I've been thinking about this for a very, very, very long time, that most of the animosity and hostility that we're seeing in government today and in America today, American groups in states and uh, non-governmental organizations is coming from the liberal side because they are angry, uh, they attack, they use foul language, they call conservatives names, and we see a case of this from the governor at the great state of New York. And I was very sad to see this, very disappointed. Andrew Cuomo, he is the governor. He is a Democrat. He is a liberal. He is also a Catholic. During a radio interview uh, last Friday, 
Cuomo said that Republicans were in the midst of a schism, that is a sort of a disagreement where conservatives worked against moderate Republicans, and that's true. Uh, in, the, in the Republican Party, there are moderate conservatives, and there are strict conservatives. There are libertarians. And you have the same thing in the Democratic Party. As a matter of fact, I've noticed over the years, and they do try to contain it but cannot always do it, there is animosity between the Clintons and the Obamas. Uh, the Obamas are far-left liberals, and the Clintons are moderate liberals. And so the schism that Cuomo talks about in the Republican uh, Party, uh, we find in the Democratic Party as well. It's just, it's just the nature of mankind living together in a democracy. And the, the thing we've got to remember is that, and is that we are all Americans. We're all after the same thing. We want the best things for our children, for our country, and, and so on. Let's let's work together. Let's disagree. Let's agree to disagree and work together, work things out, as they did in the Constitutional Convention. The issues were right there in 1787. It took discussion. It took mutual respect and congeniality. It took compromise to get that Constitution. And that's, not, that's what we need to see today. We don't need to see this anger and this name-calling. In that radio interview, Governor Cuomo said this, and this is a quote. He's speaking of Republicans, or of conservatives, excuse me. Their problem is not me and the Democrats. Their problem is themselves. Who are they? Are they these extreme conservatives who are right to life, pro-assault weapon, anti-gay? Is that who they are? Because if that's who they are, and they're the extreme conservatives, they have no place in the state of New York because that's not who New Yorkers are. So this governor forgets, just like President Obama seems to have forgotten, that he represents all of the people of New York. He represents all of the citizens of New York. He can't say that conservatives are people who don't belong in New York. When I read this, it gave me chills, cold chills. I, several years ago, I was researching... Um, I was looking for a cartoon that I could use um, in one of the units or a PowerPoint presentation. I don't remember exactly. It was probably in Fabulous Facts. Um, and I came across, accidentally, a cartoon that gave me those cold chills. Uh, my blood ran cold type of thing, you know. <coughs> and... Um, what it was, it was a, a photograph, uh, basically, of a front page of a Boston newspaper, um, the whole thing. And I frequently use those in, in Fabulous Facts. But the headline said, 2050, last conservative executed in Massachusetts. I didn't find that funny at all um, because I was seeing that kind of anger, that kind of all the virtual hatred emanating from liberal groups um, who cannot, simply cannot tolerate a conservative person. And here again, uh, one of the key words when they're into their name calling is the word extreme or extremist. So Cuomo used it twice, extreme conservatives, extreme conservatives, twice in one paragraph, saying that they have no place in New York. 
So if you are right-to-life pro-assault and anti-gay, you're an extremist to Governor Cuomo and millions of other liberals um, who don't want to sit down and talk, who don't want to communicate, who don't want to work things out, who don't want to compromise. They want their way, period. And they have a lot of names. Uh, you've heard we've talked about them before. They call us terrorists and, and other kinds of things. So if you are, um, if you consider yourself a, a conservative, develop a thick skin, laugh it off. Uh, they're going to come after you. They're going to come after us uh, with that kind of language. It's just disappointing when a governor of one of the great states of the United States does that. Not as disappointed as I was in, the, in President Obama when he began his class warfare thing saying terrible things uh, about people who were wealthy. Of course, many of the people who were wealthy supported him and helped him get elected. Uh, nonetheless, uh, he, he has made other references to conservatives and conservative groups uh, tea parties that were very uncomplimentary, um, and religious groups that were very uncomplimentary comments from the president, um, not as extreme as we're seeing from NGOs and from Governor Cuomo, but it's there. The, and he, along with Cuomo, as I said, forget that they represent every man, woman, and child that's a citizen of this country. So very disappointing. Well, Conservatives, of course, are up in arms uh, after Governor Cuomo. Uh, there was a Catholic priest on um, uh, one of the the, the, uh, the morning show on Fox News this morning. I cannot remember his name, but he is a, a guest speaker, and he was basically repudiating Governor Cuomo and expressed his, uh, you know, he was very polite and very courteous, expressed his un, his disappointment that Governor Cuomo, a Catholic, would call somebody who, that, who is right to life, somebody who does not, opposes abortion, to call them an extremist. When he sh himself, as a Catholic, should yeah, be supporting right to yeah, life. Since I am Catholic, I have a little bit of a take on this, so I just wanted to chat with you about it, if that's okay. That's fine. Yeah. You know, it's just, I think you very wisely pointed out that so many people have said they are a particular denomination, and then um, when you look at what the de denomination teaches, they just have not, you know, adhered to any of the, you know, covenants, so to speak, of that denomination, and why they continue to call themselves that just is beyond me. So that's like one of those uh, rhetorical questions that will never be answered, and um so that's how I feel about that. But I, I think more alarming is the fact that you're not going to hear a lot about it, you know, in the secular media. They might just, you know, gloss it over. But I heard about it this morning, of course, front and center on Fox. And, um, you know, I, I find it appalling, just like you do. And I think that this is a wake-up call for those of us who are, you know, Christians or purport to be whatever denomination you are, that, you know, it's it's gotten to the point now that it is beyond um, anything that we may have imagined, Woody. I mean, you know, if we if we had talked about this even 10 years ago or five, if three years ago, you know, even with Obama in the presidency, 
I just never thought um, things would get as bad as they have. And, of course, healthcare to me has been, you know, the nail in the coffin. So we really need to be vigilant. We need to be um, beyond the rhetoric and really see where these guys, you know, lie. I think they said his backpedaling, uh, Woody, if I'm, I think you, you mentioned it, um, was going to be that he was talking about elected officials. But even so, how horrible is that? you know, making this stance that if you want to be, get elected in New York, that's not what we're about. And um, so I don't know. Um, but I just wanted to say, uh, you know, just because someone says they're a particular nomination, I think you can tell, um, you know, by, by their fruit and the way they act, whether or not that's true. And I wouldn't even call him, um, you know, a Christian at this point. So especially with those, you know, um, those statements that he made. So um, I think that, that's enough enough of my soap, soapbox, but it's just infuriating to me that. Well, point point well taken. And, and you know, in any any institution, whether it's the Republican Party, the Democratic Party, or the Catholic Church, there are differences in opinion. In, in the Catholic right. Church and in all religions, there are traditionalists and there are the modernists. Um, I'm sure that there are Catholics that do not agree with right to life. Uh, they do not agree with um, a movement against same-sex marriage. They disagree, uh, and, that, and that's okay. But they've got, to, they've got to agree to disagree. And people like Governor Cuomo and people like President Obama have to come out as an arbiter, as a mediator. As you know, when Governor Cuomo attacks extremists, what he calls extremist conservatives then he is placing them in danger because he is opening the lid like Hitler did against the Jews. Uh, when he came out with Heinrich Himmler and started propagandizing right. against the Jews, right. it's their fault. They did this. They called that. The German people mm -hmm. slowly and surely turned on their Jewish brethren, um, Germans, citizens of, of the state. We could see the same thing in America um, in fact, maybe we're already seeing it to some point. I think when Barack Obama was elected, I think liberals got very, very loud, very aggressive, very confident. And um, so we've seen a good bit of that in the last five years. And perhaps Governor Cuomo himself has been infected by that. Uh, so here they come with their angry, hostile rhetoric of hatred. Uh, when when leaders like Cuomo and Obama and many others should be placating and mediating and reminding us that we are all Americans, that we have the right to an opinion. It's in the Constitution, the First Amendment, something that they had always championed. Right. Okay, let's champion it for these so-called extreme conservatives, too. I am an extreme conservative, I guess. Wow, um, and, and that's the thing. Arola had a really good comment in the chat room. I want to read it. She said, it's sad that if we stand up for anything right or what the Bible stands for, we are bigots and should shut up. Why are they exactly. so blind to where this is all taking us? All we have to do is watch Russia and what happened to them. You know, Woody, and I think one of the things you've said in past uh, shows and also um, in the, the government and uh, the uh, American history classes that you've taught for for the homeschoolers, and that is that you said, because we live in America, everyone's opinion is is right for them, 
you know, which is always, you know, kind of like maybe the hairs in the back of my neck go up a little bit because I'm not going to agree that, uh, with everyone's opinions, but we have that right. But when you take a public oath or office, that is one of the things that I was under, you know, the um, the thought, you know, the thought process is that you're going to be elected to represent all people within your jurisdiction and what the you know, the Constitution is saying. And so that's why um, it, it's very important for our kids to understand the Constitution and what it says yes, and understand absolutely. where this is, is going and, um, you know, why shows like this are so important because it, it does. But isn't that what the, the government officials are supposed to be doing, Woody, is upholding the law of the land, you know, whether you're a state governor and the laws of that state um, or, you know, as we've seen with the president, um, the law of the land of the United States, which is governed by the Constitution. Yeah, this uh, is, is like I said, they are elected to represent all of the people. They're represented uh, whether they voted for them or not, whether they belong to the same political party or not. Uh, their job is to uphold the law, to enforce the law equally and fairly uh, for all Americans. And, and their job is not in the Constitution, but their job is to be a leader. You go back to the preamble of the Constitution. Uh, we the people established this Constitution, uh, and one of the important phrases to me is uh, domestic tranquility. Um, that's the idea of the Constitution and the leadership uh, that develops under the auspices of the Constitution, their job is to promote domestic tranquility, not stir up anger, angst, and hatred the way the governor just did. Um, so they forget what their role is. They are so wedded to their party philosophy, or to, in this case, to their liberal philosophy, that they forget about decency they forget about the constitution they forget about domestic tranquility and all of the other things like you as you said that they are elected to carry out and oversee and it's just really too bad and you know what's really the saddest thing of all is governor andrew cuomo will get away with it nothing will happen and maybe we'll wow. see maybe we're going to see this spread Maybe we're going to hear more comments of this guy. I remember hearing this um, when Bill Clinton had been accused of uh, sexual dalliance with uh, a White House intern. And um, he apparently lied to his wife and said that it hadn't happened. So she went on a, a television show, and uh, she referred to a conspiracy of, of uh, no, an extreme right-wing conspiracy who are out to ruin my husband. She would find out later that that it was true that he had done what they had said he had done, but extreme, that that's one of their favorite bywords, and you hear it a lot. And it's just not something that the leadership should be using. Some journalist, okay, some blogger, some edit, editorialist with the New York Times, that's fine, that's you know freedom of speech. But elected leaders... Uh, should have the responsibility not to go there, not to go to that kind of rhetoric. So it's a real disappointment. Okay, well, 
keep an eye on that. Let's see if um, there's any reaction to Cuomo's comments. Change the subject a little bit. I got a very interesting email uh, two or three days ago. Uh, its description was viral text slash forwarded mail. And I did a little bit of research, and it seems to have come from somebody named B. Peterson, and that's all I know. But it's this. It's a proposed 28th Amendment to the Constitution. Now, to amend the – let's take a look at the Constitution very quickly. If you would turn in your Constitution to Article 5. And this does <laughs> – doesn't not directly related to what um, the email said and what the proposal was, but I think it's worth taking a look at. So if you are there, let's read the Fifth Amendment together so we'll understand how to change the Constitution. Now, the Constitution was not and is not a perfect document. Uh, that's why the Founding Fathers had the wisdom to put in an amendment process. And we've had 27 amendments to the Constitution. Okay, let's read this together. The Congress, when two-thirds of both houses shall deem it necessary, shall propose amendments to the Constitution, or on the application of the legislatures of two-thirds of the several states, shall call, call a convention for proposing amendments. All right, stop right there. Now, there are two ways, then, to propose amendments, Congress or a convention of states. The only way we have ever done it because it would be just so difficult and so expensive to have that state convention, we have relied on Congress to propose amendments to the Constitution. And uh, they have done so 27 times. All right, reading on, which in either case shall be valid to all intents and purposes as part of this Constitution when ratified by the legislatures of three-fourths of the several states. And that's the way we have always done it. When I go to the polls, when there's a constitutional proposal up, uh, it's right there on my ballot, along with all the people running for all state and federal offices, and I have the privilege of voting on it. Or by conventions in three-fourths thereof, and I'm pretty sure that no state has ever done that. They simply have allowed the people to vote as the one or the other mode of ratification. All right, now I'll take a look at the 27th Amendment. So, two supermajorities there, folks, a two-thirds vote of Congress, a three-fourths vote of the states to add an amendment to the Constitution. Now, amendment number 27, no laws varying the compensation for the services of the senators and representatives shall take effect until an election of representatives shall have intervened. Now, what does that mean? Think about it. No law varying the compensation for the services other senators and representatives shall take effect until an election of representatives shall have intervened. All right, compensation for services, salary, payment shall take effect. So in other words, they can propose a salary increase or retirement or health care benefits to themselves, but they cannot finalize it until the next until after the next election that way if the people are angry about it if the people are uh, rebelling about it then they can take out their frustrations at the polls 
And if people don't like it, they can look to see how their representative or senator voted and um, vote against them, try to vote them out of office. All right, that's the 27th. Now, you probably have a blank space um, where the next amendment, whatever it's going to be, uh, would be located. This one has come up before, and the creator of the proposed 28th Amendment that I got in the email says this. Proposed amendment to the United States Constitution, Congress shall make no law that applies to the citizens of the United States that does not apply equally to the senators and representatives of Congress. And Congress shall make no law that applies to the senators and or representatives that does not apply equally to the citizens of the United States. In other words, Congress would not be able to grant a favor to themselves. They cannot uh, grant them special, themselves special privileges. But most importantly, uh, we're thinking about the Affordable Care Act and how not only did President Obama suspend the requirement, and of course that is unconstitutional, uh, he cannot change the law, but he did. He suspended the requirement for congressmen I'm reading one source that says for Democrats in Congress, so I don't really believe that. I don't think he would go quite that far. And not only that, but they will get a subsidy. You and I won't get a subsidy. That is a government payment to help you meet the costs of the new insurance. Some Americans will get that. Uh, uh, lower income Americans will get that subsidy. But most of us will not get that. But Congress will get that. So this, constitu this constitutional amendment would end that grievous injustice carte blanche. It would be over with. Uh, no more would Congress be able to do that. So a rather conservative approach to solving a problem and um, one that you will never see added to the Constitution, at least not in the present day political environment in the Congress of the United States. It wouldn't even come close to being proposed. Okay, let's take a then and now look at the last few years. Economic change in America since Obama took office. What uh, we are calling the Great Recession. It is the worst period of economic downturn in the history of the United States, with the only exception being the Great Depression. I hear several people um, saying the worst economic downturn since the Great Depression, and it certainly is. But what they don't realize, it is the worst economic downturn in American history, second only to the Great Depression. Now, here are some statistics uh, that have been put together, actually that I put together, uh, so that you'll understand the full scope of what happens when you allow big government to become bigger and bigger and bigger. Now, to start with, um, when he took office, uh, President Obama's approval rating was 68%. 68% of the American people uh, gave him their support. That's a great American tradition, even Republicans in Congress uh, uh, referring to themselves as, as the um, loyal opposition uh, gave support to the president and congratulated him. Uh, President Bush congratulated him. Many others did. 
um, we I think we're basically saying that we support, we are loyal to, we rever the office of the presidency. And I, and I think most Americans, 68% at least, were willing to give this new guy a chance, give him a chance. And at that time, uh, the opposition uh, was 38%. So 68%, uh, that's pretty good. Well, today, his approval rating is 38%. So a 30% drop, 30% of the American voting public have changed their minds about this president. And that bodes ill for Democrats who are seeking re-election in 2014, as we know. The national debt when he took office was $2.6 trillion. It has risen to $17.3 trillion. So roughly $7 trillion new dollars added to the national debt. Now that, he has added more, or more has been added to the debt in the last five years than all of the previous presidents combined. Uh, this thing is out of control. It is scary. It is the uh, scariest thing that's going on in America today as far as I'm concerned. This is the thing that could destroy this country. Uh, it could just flatline our economy. Uh, we would all be in trouble. It is completely irresponsible. The poverty rate when Obama took office was 13.2%. Today, it's 15%. It's going up, going up by 1.8%. We now have 46.5 million Americans living in poverty. Let's don't get into why or how to solve that, um, we'll, get, we'll do that later. Median family income, or roughly average family income, in 2008 was $55,939. Today it's 52163 So families are, have less spending power, significantly less spending power today than they did five years ago. Food stamps, 32 million on food stamps when Obama took office, now 47.4. We have added 15.4 million people to food stamp rolls. And again, an expanding entitlement, more money to the national debt. You know, I really don't understand these people. I don't understand why they don't understand that the national debt is such a threatening thing to our economic well-being. I don't understand why they can't see that. Americans, um, in a recent poll, um, Americans were asked what they believe were the biggest problems facing America, and the one that ranked the highest, and this is kind of encouraging to conservatives, I think, is government. They believe that big government is the biggest mm -hmm. problem. That was the largest percentage. Wow. So I'll stop it's right there for a yeah, I was finally getting through to them. All right, yes, Woody, we are going to be taking a break and uh, from a word from our sponsor. So we'll Thank be right you. back. All right. The American Government and Elections class is a remarkable look at the workings of the U.S. government, the election process, and how the Constitution sets the stage for the democracy that we enjoy today. This video series contains 32 hours of class recorded with a live audience 
taught by accredited AP and award-winning professor of American history, Robert Woodrow Wilson. This class is sure to energize your students with a love of learning. The classes are on demand on your time to view from the comfort of your own home. Created specifically for the high school level homeschooler, this AP level class can be enjoyed by students of all ages. Recorded and produced by Media Angels, a name you trust for quality products. Need more information? No problem. Go to MediaAngels.com and visit our class link. Or go to AmericanHistoryKidsClass.com and get ready to claim your seat. Hurry, because class is starting. Well, hi and welcome back. My name is Felice Gerwitz, and I am the moderator of Current Issues and the Constitution Show. And Woody has been sharing, uh, Professor Wilson, about uh, a lot of the things that are happening in our day, things we need to be keeping an eye out for, and also um, information that should cause the hairs in the back of our necks to stand up. But uh, Woody, you know, if it wasn't for um, conservative broadcasts like this one, it would be really difficult to get... Uh, the truth of what's happening today. And, you know, you you posed a really good question before we took the commercial break, and that is why don't people understand the problem with the national debt and what that can do for our economy? And, you know, I I don't know. I don't know what the answer to that is, but, um, you know, I think part of it is that people are just in a survival mode. And I know, you know, when you were talking about the statistics of the numbers of people um, who are on, you know, food stamps or on welfare, you know, it, it's a vicious cycle. They just can't find good jobs because people like my husband's small business um, are not uh, looking to hire a bunch of people because we have to pay so much and we're also looking to the yeah. future and what is the health care going to be? Um, you know, will we just become a sole proprietor and not have people on our, our payroll. Right. And that that is pretty much universal. You find that everywhere you go. Uh, business is closing down. Business is laying off. Um, business hiring temporary workers instead of full-time workers because they just can't afford it. They can't mm-hmm. afford the Social Security. They can't afford the health care uh, that they're required to pay. Uh, for their workers, if they hire over 50 people, for example. So, yeah, it's. Uh, I mean, this this thing is like uh, like octopus tentacles just spreading throughout America's economic system. And um, I have some theories about why they don't understand, um, but I don't want to lay them out there because they I probably sound like some kind of a conspiracy theorist, an extremist. And I certainly don't want to sound like that, but maybe mm-hmm. we'll get into that someday. But going on with this, we have 91.8 sure. million Americans that do not have a job. So they have to rely on the government. And the government, uh, this government is glad to have them, uh, give them food stamps, give them welfare, give them uh, Medicaid, uh, free, uh, free health care. And all, all we ask is that you vote for us because we're taking care of you. That's what they want, the nanny state. It's basic. It's, it's, you know, I hear even people on Fox News won't say it. It, It's socialism. It's Marxism. It has a great deal in common with communism. Systems that failed, they've already failed. Um, 
in, in Russia, uh, for example, in the European states, and they are in they are in great financial despair over in Europe. This system has failed. It doesn't work, and that's why it has failed. The free market works. The free market is one of three things, along with with the church, the Christian church, and the Constitution, the free market. Those three things combined made America the great nation that it became by the end of the 20th century. And we're seeing a decline in that. And I'm giving you some statistics that prove the decline. What we need to go, do is go back to the free market where people do not have to be poor. People can work hard when they're kids. They can work hard in school. They can get out of school and get a job. They can go military. They can go to college. Free market where businesses are not hammered and threatened with bankruptcy by the President of the United States like he did with the coal industry, where the government doesn't do that, where the free market decides what businesses will succeed and what will fail, what businesses will grow and which ones will decline, what businesses they support and which ones they don't. It's not up to the government. It's up to the people in the free market. And we're, we're people, entrepreneurs, people like like um, uh, Jeff Gerwitz, for example, or maybe Nick Gerwitz, who's thinking about establishing his own business, where they're free to do that without a whole bunch of regulations, a whole bunch of paperwork, a whole bunch of taxes. That's what made America a great nation. You look back at the Industrial Revolution of the early 19th century, the heavy Industrial Revolution with Rockefeller, Vanderbilt, Carnegie in, in the late 19th century. Yeah, they were ruthless businessmen, but they built industries. They built industries, and they provided jobs. And what, what, what again, Obama himself doesn't seem to understand is that it is those businesses that create the wealth of America. It's businesses that make medical research possible. It's businesses that make jobs possible, growing businesses, hiring more people. That's where it comes from. It funds the government. Government, you know, remember a, there was a, a poll no, several years ago, 10 or 12 years ago, um, that revealed that 40-something percent of the American people believed that the government made its own money in the mint. They didn't understand that the government's revenues come from taxation of working people. So working people are rewarded in the free market. They are penalized and punished in a socialist system as the money is taken from them and put into programs for those who don't have jobs. I would guess, and I'm just guessing, that most of the people that don't have a job, that 91.8 million that are no longer in the workforce, um, they're perfectly capable of working. Most of them are. Some are not. Some people need to be cared for. And that should be done in the states and, and should be done by the churches and by private charities. The federal government should have no role in that at all. There are an awful lot of people that could work that are not working. Many of them because they've lost their job, 
Many of them because they'd rather not have a job. They might have to get up in the morning and go to work. Easier to live on somebody else's dime, so to speak. So going back to this, the number of jobless, um, the jobless rate in America is up by 9.6 million Americans since 2009. And it's not getting any better. 10.98 or 11 million Americans receive a disability check from the government. Many of these are um, alcoholics or drug addicts. They receive a check from the federal government. And, of course, you know what most of them do with that check. I know two people. I know two people personally. I do not know them well, and I don't want to, who were able to get a doctor to sign a certificate, and they got on unemployment. They're drawing an unemployment check, and they are or not, excuse me, a disability check, and they are not disabled. How much of that is uh, there is in the federal government's program, I do not know. And that's one of the uh, big problems with letting the federal government run, run programs like this. It's just too big. They can't manage, manage it. I don't know. I suppose it's HHS that runs uh, disability payments, but how can they supervise that? How can they inspect that? How can they guarantee the quality how can they how can they minimize the corruption? It's too big. This needs to be done by the state in each of the 50 states where it is actually manageable. 10.11 million Americans receiving a disability check. Many of them deserve it. But they deserve it from their states, not from the federal government. Many of them do not deserve it at all. Since 2009, one in 3 Americans, one out of 3 has fallen into poverty, 33%. 42% of Americans say that they are worse off than they were last year, meaning 2012. So it continues to get worse, 42%. Okay, what is that? That's about 120 million people are worse off than they were last year. So, that's the direction we're going on, going in. It's called the Great Recession. It's called socialism. It's called big government. It's called class welfare. Let's, let's take it to the rich, the people that create the wealth in the first place and the jobs, and let's give it to people who don't have it. I wish um, a study could be done. I wish we could know what percent of the people that receive entitlements of this type actually need it. What percent could work? What percent could be self-reliant, individualistic, independent, if they had to be? Uh, moving on with a, a related topic. Um, last week, the um, Index of Economic Freedom was released, and this is a study of all the countries in the world. Um, in economic freedom, meaning basically... Um, the freest countries are the ones that are practicing the free market, and the least free are totalitarian, communist, uh, North Korea, Cuba, uh, those kinds of countries. All right, so this uh, study was released by the Heritage Foundation and the Wall Street Journal last week, showing America's economic freedom has declined for the seventh year in a row. We have dropped from sixth to twelfth in the world since the election of 2008. We've dropped out of the top 10 freest economies in the world. 
just behind Estonia, and just ahead of Bahrain. Chile is ahead of us. So we were six. We used to be number two. I think Switzerland was ahead of us uh, back in those days, back in the 90s, last time I saw this. Um, so then we dropped to six, and now we have precipitously dropped by 50% 12 uh, since 2008. Now, what that, what that basically is saying is that socialism is on the move. Affordable Care Act is a big part of that. You realize that Affordable Care Act is going to represent one-sixth of our economy, one-sixth. And now it's being taken over by the federal government. So we dropped to 12th and dropping still. So that's the success in the march of socialism and the uh, shoving aside or pushing out of the way the free market. So why why have have we dropped to number twelve? Well, basically two things: taxes and regulations. There have been, were many tax increases in Obama's first two years when he had Democrats controlling both houses of Congress. There were several of those. May I expect some of your families were hit by them. There have been eighteen thousand. Now this is an incredible number: eighteen thousand new regulations since Obama took office. Eighteen thousand. And most of those, of course, are put on businesses, making it you know, stranglehold. I once asked a friend of mine. He was a, a father of, uh, of a football player that I coached, and uh, we were talking one day waiting, waiting for something. He was the owner of a jewelry store here in my hometown. And I asked him, I said, Dallas, what's the, uh, what are some of the biggest problems you have? Without hesitation, he said federal government regulations. And this was back in the 90s. Federal government regulations of a jewelry store? I could understand it was food or drugs, but why would there be so many regulations? But he, he said he spent hours and hours and hours trying to understand and deal with those regulations. All right, we've got 18,000 brand new ones just in the last five years. So this is empowering those federal agencies, the EPA, Department of Energy, Department of Health and Human Services, the Internal Revenue Service, the IRS, and making it thereby more and more difficult for business owners, small and large, to make a profit. These regulations, by the way, the 18,000, not only did they suppress economic growth, but they cost the taxpayer $494 billion just to implement them. That's a half a trillion dollars. Add that to the national debt. Just another example of um, what you get when you allow socialism to expand itself and establish its power. Let's change the subject. Um, enough of that. We uh, said last time that we would talk about Bob Gates' book, The Secretary of Defense. Now, remember, he was Secretary of Defense the last couple of years in the Bush administration. And um, uh, Obama, perhaps, uh, I thought uh, it was a good thing. I, I thought maybe he was, uh, you know, trying to show equanimity uh, uh, towards the Republican Party and, and Republicans in Congress and, and all of us uh, by asking Bob Gates to stay on as his Secretary of Defense, so he did. Well, Gates wrote a book recently after resigning uh, talking about his experience. He said a lot of good things about everybody, and he said some things that 
I wouldn't say he meant to be critical, but they were critical. For example, um, in a meeting that they were having, uh, Hillary Clinton was there, Secretary of State, and they were just talking frivolously. He said he was he was amazed at how much time they spent saying making critical remarks about the Bush administration and the Bush team. And he and the general were sitting there looking at each other, sort of uh, thinking, don't they know we were in the Bush team, that they are they are criticizing us? But anyway, um, in one case, they were talking about the surge. Now, things were not going well in Iraq, in the war in Iraq. And President Bush alone, all of his advisors were against it, said we're going to put in 20,000 troops and we're going to turn this thing around. They did. Well, they were talking about, in fact, it worked. The surge worked. That was when Harry Reid said, this war is lost on public television. This war is lost. And then it wasn't. And now it is um, because of Obama policies, but not because of Bush. But they were talking. And she said, this might not hit you at first, but she said that in this talk to Obama, her opposition to the surge, the Bush surge in Iraq, was political. And then Obama agreed. So they didn't oppose the idea of it. They were making a political decision because they were going to run for office. And they didn't want Democrats and liberals to turn against them because they had voted for the surge. Even though Hillary Clinton voted for the resolution to support the war in Iraq, uh, three years later, I think it was, she voted against the surge and admitted out loud that it was a political decision. And wow, um, is this what we're getting? Political decisions instead of principled decisions? Where, what will that lead to? Re-election maybe, but what is that going to do to American foreign policy and American leadership in the world? Gates' book also revealed that President Obama, commander-in-chief, does not respect the military. He has very little regard for the military. He seems very impatient with generals. Seems um, uh, to think that he is above them somehow. The book also revealed that basically said, and, and I saw this, also to some other people too, um, that this administration, this Obama administration, is in campaign mode all the time. Most you know, people, um, when they become president or governor, they stop campaigning and begin to exercise the responsibilities of their office. Well, this president kept on campaigning, and he's still campaigning. He's out there right now with his inequality thing, the redistribute the wealth thing, uh, class warfare thing, um, Let's let's put it to the rich class and all those kinds of things. But um, what? Why are they? Why do they stay in campaign mode? To me, and this is just you know, I've never sat in on their discussions. I don't know what they're saying. I, a lot of this is done in secret, I'm sure. But it seems to me that if you're trying to replace a great economic tradition, the free market, with a Karl Marx socialist state, then you have to keep campaigning and brainwashing and propagandizing in order to, and you have to keep attacking the church and you have to belittle and minimize Republicans by, by smear attacks and smear campaigns 
no matter what. And you have to continue to campaign. So let's see if in November of 2014, if that has got the American people fooled. I don't think it has. I have a great deal of faith in the American people. We are a great free people. We have created a great nation. And I think we'll keep it great. I'm hoping for great things. Of course, I hope for great things in 2012. Didn't get them. But uh, let's don't give up. Also, Bob Gates says, uh, and I've got to get this book and read it. No, I, uh, no, I don't think I will. I, I don't think I would be. It would make make me very happy to read that book. I'll just um, stick with Fox News and see what the juicy parts are. He says that both Obama and Hillary Clinton detested Congress. They actually, they, he said, they seem to hate some members of their own party more than they did Republicans. I mean, that perhaps they understand that Republicans are going to be Republicans, but they can't stand it when a member of their own party doesn't work with them, support them, do what is asked. I've also noticed this um, uh, in, in other ways, that anytime there's a black Republican or a female Republican, black Republican, female, black conservative, female conservative, they get attacked big time. If you're uh, black or female, you're supposed to be liberal. You're not allowed to be representatives of conservatism. So they try to destroy them. Um, I've seen that happening over the last 15 or 20 years. Gates agreed with President Barack Obama's decisions in Afghanistan, but was troubled by the president's apparent lack of public enthusiasm for the war. It's like he was going through the motions, Gates said, and didn't really have the convention in his gut required to be the commander-in-chief, as we saw with President Bush and his game-saving surge uh, during the Iraq War. However, Gates went on to contrast Obama's what he calls an apparent lack of passion with what he called Senator Harry Reid's. And you remember he's the majority uh, leader of the Senate. Senator Harry Reid's outright disgraceful comment about the war in Iraq. This is a member of, of, of Congress. This is a senator. And we're at war. We have soldiers in the field. And he's like a 60s protester. You don't do that when your boys are dying in the, in the battlefield, calling it disgraceful. And then again, that famous, I'll never forget it as long as I live, it just seared in my brain when he stood before the cameras with the Senate chambers in the background and said, this war is lost. And he was reelected. So those are some things about Gates's book. Um, I think we have four or five minutes for questions. Uh, Felice, if we want to get into that, we're just about out of time. Um, I would yeah. be moving to a new topic, so uh, we'll just save that till next time. Time we're going to talk about uh, Obama's executive orders. So please do mm. some research. Maybe you'll yeah. find some things I haven't found. No, that's fine. No, there are no questions today. I think we've got a really uh, quiet group today that are just um, posting some comments in the chat room, but they're just really more comments to what you're saying. So, so far, no questions. So, so we will go ahead and um, end the session then. And thank you so much, uh, Woody, for uh, this wonderful class.
Thanks so much for joining us for this episode of The Current Issues in the Constitution. If you'd like to join us live, visit our show page on ultimatehomeschoolradionetwork.com. And for more information about Professor Wilson's classes, visit AmericanHistoryKidsClass.com. See you next week.